You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Hi listeners, Annie here for Showreel on Your 3CR. We look at things to do with the Australian moving image industry and lately there has been a great variety of good Australian movies coming out. Today we focus on Bromley, Light After Dark, a full-length feature documentary by a Melbourne filmmaker, Sean MacDonald, about David Bromley, Australian artist. Love him or hate him, Bromley is a force of nature. I spoke with Sean about his film, which is in theatres now. Let's talk about the art of Bromley, uh, light and dark. How long did you uh, spend filming this? Because it's a very uh, uh, wide-ranging kind of a film. Absolutely. I spent... In total, filming it, I probably spent four and a half years. So, and this is my first sort of feature as a director. I've shot other films before, but, um, you know, that first year was a really big learning curve. Okay, how do I make a film? How do I manage a project just even data-wise on that sort of scale? So probably that first year was very much just an, a year of exploration and, and trying to figure out what I wanted to tell with the story. And then, yeah, then probably from there, there was sort of three years of a, of a conscious sort of filming process and then about a year of post-production. So probably five years of my life all up. <laughs> so uh, do you are you friends with uh, Bromley? Yeah, I, I knew I'd worked with David and Yugi. So I started out as a photographer, sort of that's where I, I studied. And I documented a lot of their projects just in photographic format and sort of got a relationship with them through that and, and got a, a glimpse, I guess, into their world and, and what their life was like through that process. And we were just always having like, you know, if I was hanging around documenting one of their projects, we we're always having these really amazing conversations and, you know, lots of big life questions. And I'd always walk away with these like just really powerful thoughts to think about. And and uh, from, well, I think one day I just sort of said like, oh, no one sort of understands what you guys are really like. Like someone needs to make a documentary on you guys to explain that. And then I said, well, I should do it. And David's like, okay, go for it. And I thought, oh, shit, what have I got myself into here? So that's as simply as how it all started. You know, I was lucky to have incredible access and it built that initial relationship, which I think is really, you know, a huge component of making a, a sort of authentic, intimate documentary. So, um and I just saw that there was a there was a real you know they're polarizing characters in the art scene, which is great from a storytelling point of view because you can sort of break down what 
makes them so polarizing but also they were just really misunderstood you know what i was seeing behind the scenes i thought this is just a, a really interesting story um yeah well mm. it is an interesting story it's funny you should say this because i um go past a gallery on uh chapel street because i do film reviews and i go down to the jam factory and i pass a shop that has bromleys in the window and for a while there i saw it and i thought oh, isn't it funny that people would want to buy those things um <laughs> no i actually thought that i thought oh god that. yeah you're and, not alone and, there, I thought, like... and i thought i was going teasing it around in my mind around why what people were seeing in this stuff because i'd never buy it because mm. um not that i'd but you know, looking at uh, yeah, shop yeah. windows and stuff like that is a uh, uh, is you know free entertainment in the parks. That's why I said, and yeah. um, and he probably does see it too. And that's why I found your film so fascinating because I'd actually already posed in in my own mind the purpose of those images uh, from mm. the shop, right? And so you actually oh, explained it to me what was going on here, and uh, also the character of the guy and his wife mm. and the way they are like a force of nature aren't they yeah they're beautiful observations and they're two things that i was really fascinated by initially because i like i'm a big uh, like i'm a trained as a photographer so visual images and stuff we're so trained to see things and make assumptions and lots of people have those same sort of assumptions as you and when i met david i didn't know anything about his art initially so i, I probably had the same thoughts and I love, it's kind of like how we treat people. We all see someone and we make an evaluation of what that person is in our head, like subconsciously. It's like, and I think with art, like with people, you know, the more we can break, like learn what is actually behind, you know, the the book cover for for lack of a better phrase. Um, I think we're all better off people. And, and so I love when, you know, when things such as art or photography makes you feel a certain thing but then you get to know and it changes your perspective somehow and it makes you think in a different way than perhaps your initial instinct and then the character piece is 100 percent right and i think you know again as someone who enjoys the visual arts i think there's just a huge over fascination and over analysis of a finished product and people miss 99 percent of what an artist does like you look at every great artist the work is the work but they're great artists for their approach to life and just how they view life and their you know and so whether you like the art or not is in some ways irrelevant it's you know and so that's what i really wanted to show because you know what's been great is some people are like oh, i didn't like his art and to be honest i'm still not a fan of it but i have like a whole new appreciation of him as an artist and that's like because at the end of the day the, an art is a subjective thing people will connect some will some won't and like but i think what you can't deny is 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 the power of the character and, and the way he sort of goes about approaching life oh yeah um that's that's entirely true and and uh, you actually do explain the complexities of thought uh there's a whole range of things in your film which make it worth going to see i mean i i was almost uh, laughing hysterically when you were going over the way the um art scene uh is in love with itself. I think that's hysterical. I, I sort of. <laughs> There's a lot of people, particularly those in the art scene or, or the artists that related 100% to all of that sort of stuff. Because it is, it's a very, I mean, the, all the creative scenes 
a, a little bit like that, but the visual arts probably the more so, and, and it's just such an old-fashioned backwards kind of, and it's really changing. Like I've had a couple of young artists come through and be like, this is so refreshing to see, and the way David and Yugi approach their business gives me hope that I can, you know, I'm not dependent on these, like, you know, gatekeepers of the art scene. And, and you know, the world's been smashed open in a lot of ways with, with social media and all that. You can do whatever you want now, which is such a great place. Well, you be. well, you know the thing. The thing about it is, that the issue, of course, is capitalism and the system that we live in, and the concept mm. that art is product. And so they just circumvent it by saying, "Yes, it's a product. Here, you can have this, and then we're going to do this as well." Um, but like I was saying, there are some really fantastic things in your film on a whole other level because you were filming for so long. You were allowed access to their living spaces. And there was, uh, and I don't know if they own those houses concurrently or if they moved from one house to another, but it was really quite fascinating to see what was on the walls in the different mm -hmm. locations. And then the last location, not not the jail, not the Castlemaine jail, but their house where they were on the table, all of the interesting other artists that were on the wall behind them which is really fascinating what they collect mm. oh man like you'll never find a bigger lover of art than david bromley like he is obsessed in every way shape or form to his own detriment half the time like every dollar they spent gets make gets spent on acquiring more art that they love because he just has to be immersed in it and like they've got so many great artists on their walls um and so many just like i'm like oh who would this piece be that's really interesting and he's like it's some unknown guy from russia that we found in an auction but we just love the work and he never quite made it and he passed away but we bought 20 of his pieces because we just love them so there's like it's for them it's not about collecting names he he just connects with art no he and, collects art and just not oh and not just art everything it's fantastic. like he finds things on Gumtree, you know, and he's collecting yeah. old wooden sculptures and things that no one else even wants, let alone, you know, <laughs> seeks out. So um, I must say, spaces. I do want an elephant. I do like the elephant. The elephant's great, isn't it? Yeah. And those characters, there, and to answer a bit of your question about their living arrangements, they do spend particularly sort of outside of COVID, they bunkered down in Dalesford a lot, but they spend, they've got a place in Dalesford, they've got a place in Melbourne. And they've got a place in the country. So they sort of bounce around um, depending on their work situation. And when they sort of overload on work, they get out to the country to sort of just garden and do those kind of things. But their life is very sort of transient in that way. Um, and then they just keep collecting stuff. They need new places to, you know, to fill it. Well, well, the thing, the thing too is that uh, it shouldn't be skirted over the fact that he actually has a raging mental health issue, which is one of the motivating forces of his uh, personality. Um, mm. Yeah, and it ex he explains his um, what's going on for him so well that it will mm. be incredibly important for a lot of people. Like on 3CR, which is uh, what we're broadcasting on, we have a program uh uh, that uh, deals with a whole lot of different things. And I remember listening to one of the programs about a person who had schizophrenia and he was describing what it was like for him. He was saying it w the, the noise wouldn't stop. It would never stop. 
It kept talking. Mm. It will never stop. And what he's explaining is something really important for other people to understand. Absolutely. And I think, like, to me and, you know, my desire to make the film, that was 100% the heart of it. And as I was saying, I'd have all these interesting conversations and a lot of them were about that kind of stuff. And I just had never heard a man talk like that. Like, we're pretty trained to keep everything inside as men and just people in general. Um, and so having stories like that out there, I think it's like our responsibility as filmmakers is to is to tell these stories in as many of them as possible because everyone's totally different. And when you say that, like, it's one of the driving forces behind his character, I think it is the number one driving force behind his character. And I knew it would be a really important component of the film when I started making it, but pretty quickly I realised that every decision in his life is built around what he needs to make that day happy and fulfilling. Because I heard on the radio yesterday that the human brain has 50 to 70,000 thoughts per day. And I was driving, I thought, crap, I wonder how many David's mind has, because it has to be at like 400,000 or something. So his whole day is plagued with how do I manage this? And as you said, like, you know, we've we've been lucky. We've had a probably half a dozen film festival screenings already before we sort of launch out to the public. And the feedback from people coming up to us afterwards about, exactly what you said there said you know I've got a, a cousin or a son that suffers from really similar things and this has helped me understand them so much and I now like feel like I know what they're what they're feeling which like as a filmmaker and for David Newgie is so like powerful because that's how, that's the challenge of, of, of tackling either being a friend or family of someone who suffers from mental health anxiety phobias whatever it may be is you don't know how to help half the time. So the more we can sort of share these stories and get people talking about it, but not just talking about it, but like one of the things I love about David's story is he actively fights back against this thing. And he's like, talking about it's not enough. I've got to bloody, I've got to be surfing. I've got to be swimming. I've got to work. I've got to have my family in order. I've got to have my medication, all these things. So that's a really important part of it as well. It's like, you know, he, he often refers to it as like, you know, I tell people it's like having a broken leg. You're not just going to sit there and feel sorry for your leg. You've got to rehab that leg. And that's how he approaches his mental health. Um, and I think it's just such a beautiful message to put out there because what I love about what we have able to tell in the film is that one of the things I wanted to show was that, like, there's this misconception that people that suffer from, you know, anxiety or depression, that they're unhappy, miserable people. David's the happiest person I've ever met in my life. And of course that comes with the downside because you feel everything so intently. But I really wanted to show that just because you experience these things in a really intense way, that doesn't mean you can't have this beautiful, fulfilling life with a family, a career, and all those things you want to you want in life. Um, and so that's kind of what I think David's greatest legacy is, 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 is that that message and that story of hope, which ties so beautifully back to his art right is like you know he he shows that there's a way through a lot of that darkness and and if you're persistent and stubborn and, and want to build a better life you can and so that's probably what you know as a film team we're most proud of we know you love listening to 3cr but we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the community radio plus app yet the app lets you tune in anywhere and share the station with your friends so show the love 
and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. You're with Annie on Showreel on 3CR, your community radio station. We're listening to a chat I had with Melbourne filmmaker Sean MacDonald about his film Bromley, Light After Dark, now showing in cinemas. I I actually really do like his um, use of imagery. Uh, I re- actually like this, his um, art process, you know, the... Uh, Mm. getting down and dirty and then doing that overlay of um uh what do they call it uh, illustrative art you know yeah the figurative elements of it oh yeah that's really interesting and i i love the use of the 50s iconography of children that sort of um darling look at kids uh, that they had in those days yeah those, those cutie dresses and the ties at the back yeah it's it's really fabulous actually I really like that yeah it's beautiful and like again sort of getting to know him on the surface yeah. there can seem that that's not much it's fascinating I guess narrative wise in that but when you learn about his family and his dad and like I guess a lot of those images come from the old boys' own annuals and, you know, and talking to it, it didn't make the film, but I remember him saying, you know, like, my dad was a boys' own annual. Like, that's who I came home to every day. And, like, you can see that inspires him so much because of his, you know, profound love of his dad. And and I think everyone can relate to a bit of that, of, you know, that era of, you know, feeling warm and, and hopeful and when, you know, the world's a beautiful place. And it's it's escapism for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But it obviously has much more in compelling meaning in the art. I mean, it really does have deep oh, yeah. meaning. And that stuff about um, him talking about uh, why can't we be joyful in art? Why does art not, can't art be joyful? Uh, that, I really, it, it's truly fantastic. It's a, it is a really great message. How did, how did those amazing stories about his family happen did it take a long time for those stories be, to be told or does he like to tell those stories all the time? Did he give it to you as a gift or was it something that he wears with him every day? Yeah, it's a great question and the answer is a bit of both. It probably depends on which family member you're talking about. Certainly, um, you know, as you would see from the film, he's, he, he has a fantastic love for his dad, but he had a much more strained relationship with his mother. Um, and so he's he talks rarely about his mother, and so that had to be dug out a lot more. Um, but he would talk about his love for his dad and his brother all the time, and there's they there's so much a part of his day every day. Um, just the way he he has little mementos of them all around his place and that. So you know him talking about his dad is something that happened all the time. But then there's like there's there's the way he would talk about him, but then there's from a director's point of view, wanted to dig deeper into that are things that I sort of had to just always have in the back of my mind that I wanted to peel back the layers because I could really see that they're so profound in the way he approaches everything. Wow. I needed to get so you sort of wait for that quiet moment when he can, you know, is not too distracted that you can dig into that. Yeah, yeah. You got photos and that was really great. The bits, the photos, uh, the way you oh, dispersed yeah. the photos was, so, oh, I really wanted more photos. But you did a really great yeah. job. And so did I. And we were lucky to find a lot of them because they were sort of in boxes in his, like 
there's so much stuff in his warehouse. I just found them one day. It was the day that was in the film where he just picked them up and started talking about them. And it was in a space that we don't go into that often. But until then, I'd struggled because he doesn't have much of that left, you know, around the photos elements. So I really wanted to put faces to this name, which is so important with how he talks about them. Um, so that was that was a little like a nugget of gold that you, that I found that day. <laughs> you, you you must have had an enormous amount of footage. You spent a year to putting it together, right? Correct. How yeah, you, we had that, a lot. Yeah. Tell me about that. The, the the challenge with I guess putting the film together for us was that it's not like a linear story. It doesn't follow a particular time frame. So there's really endless options of how you can tell that. Um, I was really lucky. I worked with an incredible editor, Delaney Murphy, who um, just is sort of, I keep saying she's the unsung hero of the film because I got to spend six months with her editing this film and just it was incredible to watch someone else take all this footage that you're quite passionate about and you and see it through this new eyes. And what was great about Delaney is she just has this incredible emotional intelligence to sort of see a scene where David often speaks you know, in quite ab abstract ways. And she always knew what was important from an emotional point in that scene. Like, she's like, this is what he's saying, but this is what the scene's actually saying. And this is what's, you know, important about it. And so I was incredibly lucky to have, yeah, this amazing editor work with me on it. Um, for people to go on that journey a bit of kind of like when you're walking past the window, right? You first you'll see his, his place in the art scene and see a bit of his art and you'll probably form your own opinions at that point. And then we sort of show both sides of those opinions. And then as the film goes on, hopefully we keep peeling back those layers to find what's really driving the art. And so that was kind of our, our goal for it. And then all the way along, um, you know, keep unpacking how he manages his mental health and what ways that then impacts his life, family, and what he needs on a day-to-day -day basis. And then the kind of like beautiful part that came out throughout the editing process was like just this great love story with him and Yugi, like this unlikely couple on paper, like there's a massive age gap, both grown up in very different places, but just the most powerful, loving couple you'll ever come across. And so that became then a beautiful sort of uh, subplot, I guess, um, which again, so there was lots of these different things that we had to juggle, you know, okay, well, what, you know, because you could make a whole story about the art scene and how his place in that and his approach, and that would still be quite interesting. You could make a well, whole I, story. I don't think it's that interesting because I think they're just full of themselves. Um, I, I do think it was, <laughs> I think the decision to follow his personality like a sailing yeah. ship was a good mm. decision. Absolutely. And then as you start playing back the footage and putting scenes together, it really quickly becomes obvious how engaging he is in the scenes that like where he's just being himself and just and so every time you try and move away from that and that's probably like one of the things that probably happened is we trim back a lot of the guest interviews because we were like you know there, there's lots of times where they're saying great stuff that didn't make the film but like you've only got you know x amount of minutes that you can and squeeze in and the stuff with david and yugi was just so powerful and raw and and real and stuff that you don't normally see on camera like there's that scene where he sort of talks about his family amongst the sculptures that he sort of created for them. Yeah, Stuff like that was just such an organic scene that, you know, we were just having a break, you know, while he was 
painting and I just said like what are these sculptures tell, tell me about them and that scene pretty much happened exactly as you saw it yeah no it's a very interesting film and uh, you've done a great job it must have been a wild and woolly experience I suppose oh absolutely like this it's I guess anytime you make a documentary you you immerse yourself in the subject and their world and it's going to be a sort of life-changing experience but certainly the Bromley's world is one of the most unique and magical that you could ever be immersed in and so to spend a lot of the time in there certainly you know I learned so much and, and just the joy of some of the days of you know there's lots of long days where you just like come home exhausted but there's so many magical days where you're just like wow can't believe I'm doing this for a job <laughs> it, it's very I feel very lucky what, what do they feel about the film were they happy yeah well one of the things that people a lot of people don't know is that like they they were so hands-off on the film they're like it's your film you have free reign access to our life do whatever you want and they never asked to see a single bit of footage and the first time they saw footage was four and a half years into the process and we're probably at a 90 percent you know of what the finished film was um so that was pretty terrifying and but a lot of that shows you sort of the trust and the and the courage for them to just open up and say you know whatever you create is is who we are and and you know we're okay with that so when I first showed them it was funny we, we were in a sort of we'd rented a very small cinema you know in a building and it was all dark the film finished and it all went dark and so I didn't know where the lights were so I'm crawling around the room trying to find the lights eventually found them and turned it on and Yugi was just like bawling and I'm like I think that's a good sign and then David just says I am embarrassed at how much I enjoyed watching myself there. <laughs> and I thought, yes, they're okay with it. So, yeah, they, they love it. You know, they didn't have a single change that they wanted or anything like that. And I think they feel like, you know, they they said, we can't believe that you've managed to show us like that, as in that's exactly how our life is, but it looks like a movie. <laughs> so, yeah, at, you know, that was that was a beautiful moment for us. Thanks for talking to me. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's it for Showreel this week. We have been chatting with Melbourne filmmaker Sean McDonald about his film Bromley, Light After Dark, now showing in cinemas. Coming up next is Published or Not. In the town where I was born Lived a man who sailed to sea And he told us of his life in the land of submarines So we sailed unto the sun Till we found the sea of green And we lived beneath the waves In our yellow submarine We all live in a yellow submarine Yellow submarine Yellow submarine
Solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm State Library, this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.